The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data, Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to Influencer Marketing Week on the MarTech Podcast. This week, we're going to publish an episode every day talking about how you can maximize your influencer marketing strategies. Joining us for Influencer Marketing Week is Vivian Garneas, who is the co-CEO of Upfluence, which is the only influencer marketing software with a dedicated offering for e-commerce brands. And they help brands drive online sales through organic influencer partnerships. And in addition to providing us with our guest today, Upfluence is also a sponsor of the MarTech podcast. So far this week, Vivian and I have discussed whether you should build an influencer campaign, and yesterday we talked about how to match influencers with your audience. Today we're going to continue the conversation talking about tips for getting the best work from influencers. All right, here's the third installment of Influencer Marketing Week with Vivian Garnes from Upfluence. Vivian, happy hump day and welcome back to Influencer Week on the MarTech Podcast. Happy to be back. We've hit the tipping point. We're on the back half of the week. And now we get to talk about not only whether you should do influencer marketing, how to find influencers, but also how to get the best work out of them. Yesterday, we talked through who to work with, how to find them, how to do the outreach. And let's say you find your five or 10 influencers to run your test campaign, and now you know who you're going to be working with. What's next? How do you figure out how to get the best work out of them? How do you keep them motivated? will be some nuances depending on the kind of objective that you have for your campaign, the kind of strategy you're implementing, of course. But let's assume for the sake of this hypothetical conversation that we are trying to pursue conversions, right? We're an e-commerce company or a company that sells online, can be retail, can be a brand, a D2C brand, whatever it is. And we want to generate sales directly. There's one arbitrage that you need to make is how much control you want to exert over the entire process. And here, there's basically two extremities to that spectrum. There's the control freak extremity, which we see a lot into more traditional brands, especially in the, in the luxury industry, where messaging is very important, branding is very important. And the control freak will say, I want to approve everything that will go live. I want my boss to approve it. I want his boss to improve it. I want my boss's boss's boss to, improve it, to approve it. And nothing gets published before that happens. So it's going to be a very long, very tedious brief, 10 pages plus with the do's and don'ts, with everything that's expected from the relationship. And every stage of the way will be processed and will be approved. So 
the content will be collected approved. Then publication instructions will be given so that the right hashtags, the right track links, the right whatever it is go live and so on and so forth. So that's great because you can have absolute mastery over your message and everything will be on brand, which is not necessarily the case when you work with influencers. However, being very rigid in the way you work with creators, they tend to charge you for it, right? If they agree to a number of revisions, if they agree to really give in control to the editorial, that's something they're going to charge you extra for. The other downside is creators, they know what works. They know the audience. They know what works for them. So they're in a context where the content they naturally would produce tends to perform at a certain level, which is why as a brand you reached out to them. But forcing them into a certain type of creative will not necessarily work as well. So not only do you deteriorate your cost, the investment part of the RI, you also deteriorate the return. So it couldn't be a double negative here. On the other end of the spectrum, you have the full freedom, meaning I'm just sending a bunch of products to creators. They can do whatever they want. They can even speak in a negative light if they want. That will bring some degree of credibility to what I do, and that's it. So it's a very fast process. You can really scale your program to very large volumes of influencers, but you can get some drawbacks, right? You can get some influencers who will not talk about your product, and then you wasted $100 shipping a pair of shoes to that creator or some influencers might you know, talk negatively about your product and so on and so forth. So you are more exposed to what goes live in that sense. All right. So there's a spectrum here based on the amount of control you have. And generally, if you are applying more influence on the creator, if you're basically telling them what they should post, when they should post, and how they should post, expect to pay more for that. And on the flip side, if you're giving the creator more creative control, you're probably going to be moving faster, but you're not necessarily going to be in control of what's going to be said. And so I guess it's kind of like anything you could pick too: fast, cheap or good. Yeah. And in this case, it's not fast, cheap and good. It's control, pace and authenticity, basically. Where do you land on how much control a brand should have over what an influencer says? I've heard differing opinions. You know, I understand the Louis Vuitton of the world wants their product to only be shown in a specific light because it's a luxury brand. And on the flip side, for most brands, authenticity is what matters, right? Finding the right match for the right channel. Should you be controlling or should you let your influencers just do what they do? Obviously, the truth is somewhere in between, right? But to me, it would be more to the freedom end of the spectrum rather than the over-controlling. And there's a smart way to assert control as well. One thing that I've seen some of our clients do really successfully is to let the influencer do his thing, but to make available an expert from the brand to do a Q&A or to intervene in one of their stories or you know, to actually add value to what the creator is doing so that the creative is still very on brand with the influencer but the brand can make sure that any technical aspect to their product or anything very specific they want known about their product can be said in addition, you know, by bringing additional value as opposed to basically beating up the influencer into submission. So I think that if you are a very control-oriented company because you have to, there are some good ways, there are some smart ways to actually exert control over the narrative and over the talking points that you really want to be out there. I can tell you, as somebody who works with brands as a creator, there's nothing more frustrating than a brand coming to you and saying, here's the ad that we want you to read to your audience, which you've spent your career building, and we want you to say it this way in this tone because this is our brand guidelines. Now, I understand brands want to be positioned in a specific way, but like I've had sponsors come back to me and be like, you didn't really influence these words while you were reading the script exactly the way that we wanted you to read it. 
And look, at some point, you just want your sponsors to be happy and fine. You redo it and it can be an iterative process. But on some point, there's part of me that's like, hey, this is my audience I'm talking to. And I am the one who has the relationship with them. I should be able to say things in my own tone. Woe is me. Sometimes I have to re-record ads. But the moral of the story is there's obviously a balance and a working relationship that you need to strike with your influencers. There's also the question of incentives. How do you structure not only the content that you're going to be creating, but the incentives you have to have the influencers go above and beyond just actually producing the creative and really put in the work to build relationships and express the value of your brand to their audience. The incentive is a fantastic tool and it can really make or break your campaign. Of course, assuming that you want authenticity, which is a must, putting your product in front of the influencer is an absolute necessity. So you have to sometimes budget that you will need some extra inventory to be able to send to the influencers so they can actually use it in situation and document it and that's what's going to work best. That's usually a component that's not necessarily pure monetary, but that definitely has to be accounted for in the way you want to build your campaign. Number one. Number two, then, there's a the topic of money. People do pure sponsored post campaigns. People do pure product. People do a mix of both sometimes. And the truth is, the more money you have to offer to influencers, the greater the response rate is going to be. If I reach out to influencers saying, hey, I'm going to give you a million dollars, my activation rates is going to go through the roof. But at the same time, our ROI is going to be absolutely awful. So again, you know, there's a nuance to find and, and the truth is somewhere in between. How do I pay something that's fair and to be incentivizing for the creator to work with me and to do his best and, and to go above and beyond as opposed to something that doesn't bankrupt my business. And here, something that we've seen work really well is commission-based work. So you can add maybe a flat fee or a spliff because that influencer is going to put in the work, is going to produce the content, and it's not exactly illogical they would be compensated for that. But then for the success they can bring, if he's confident in his ability to bring conversions, to bring new clients, you can always put an incentive that's basically on an affiliate base. Any new client that you can refer using this coupon code, using this track link, so clients that we can actually attribute to you as an influencer who will pay you 10 bucks or will pay you $20 from the GMV that you generate or whatever it is, but something that really aligns the interest of everyone, both the brand and the influencer. We've seen in our experience, that's what yields the highest of our eyes. So I want to argue with you a little bit. I have a rate card or a way that we charge for our sponsorships. There's, you know, flat fee for advertorial content, rates for our ads, a certain amount of promotion after. We kind of have a rate card or a structure. And often what happens is brands will reach out and will say, hey, look, our campaigns run ten to $20,000 per campaign. They take two to three months. We'll get tens of thousands of listeners and we'll be able to retarget the people that are exposed to the content and drive this amount of traffic to you. And often brands say, well, we had a $3,000 budget for this, so why don't we give you the $3,000 we had, and then we'll give you a bounty for what traffic you send us that converts. Now, maybe I'm in a little bit of a different position because it's not just a post that I'm creating and putting on Instagram. It's not just a, a podcast I'm creating, but we actually have to pay for creative production. We have to pay for access to the data and there's media costs for the retargeting. And so it's like, hey, you're saying I'm you're going to give me $3,000 for a $10,000 campaign, but I have to put $5,000 into it to make it work. So if I can't actually drive conversions... I'm not only out my time, but I've lost the media budget. So the answer is always like, um, 
no, you can pay the $10,000. And if we exceed a certain amount, we'll continue to do it. And I'm happy to work on an affiliate basis once we know it works. And maybe it's not a lack of belief in what we're doing, but why would I take on the risk? Who's taking these affiliate deals and why are they not taking a fixed fee? Because I always kind of shy away from them and feel like it's a way for the brand to be like, why don't you do all the work and maybe we'll pay you? I think you're hitting the nail on the head. It used to be that influencers had such a bargaining power that the brand was taking all the risk. They were paying up front and the influencer would deliver whatever he delivers. And you know, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, whoopsie doodle. This has been changing. Number one, because of what I explained in the previous episode, brands are going after influencers who are further in influencer distribution. So smaller and smaller influencers, the micros, the nanos, the pico influencers of this world. And these are less solicited. They have less bargaining power. So they are more likely to accept different kind of deals. That's item number one. Item number two, and you've nailed it when you explained that, most consumer-oriented influencers who are on TikTok, on Instagram, on YouTube, they have much lesser production costs, right? And they usually don't necessarily amplify with media budgets their content as well. That's something that the brand does on top if they want to do it, but that's usually not part of the package. Because their cost is lower, they can afford as well to take in less fees. And another thing is two things, actually two other things. Number one, I think COVID changed this, especially in some industries. There were some industries like the travel industry, the fitness industry, the hospitality industry, or the brand budgets dried up from one day to the next. So all these influencers who are dependent on brand's budget and freebies and things of that nature, they basically lifeline was pulled away from them. And they were in a situation where they had to reconsider some offerings that they would have said no a month prior, they had to say yes. And the last one, which I think is probably the most interesting, is that the social media platforms themselves are changing and they are going to closer and closer to social commerce every day meaning TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, all of these platforms, they offer social shopping features. Or now a consumer can shop directly from an influencer post. So it's becoming increasingly seamless for the consumer to purchase directly on their app, on their content. So it used to be that the best an influencer could do was drive traffic to an e-commerce website and say, okay, I've done my job. You know, I'm not responsible if you have a great or terrible conversion rate. I should not be incentivized on that. It's an NMFP. You know what that stands for? I do not know what that's not my effing problem. <laughs> Love it. That's exactly right. But now that they are more control on what converts and what doesn't, I think the mentalities are changing and influencers are more and more accepting these kind of deals. And I think everybody benefits from that because it's not like the risk used to be 100% on the brand and not it's 100% on the influencer. It used to be 100% on the brand and now it's somewhere in between, right? So both take some degree of risk, but both get some degree of return when the influencer campaign works really well and then generates a ton of conversions. So what I'm hearing from you is when you're thinking about getting the best out of influencers, you need to think about the balance of control versus creative freedom for the influencer. What are the guidelines that you're setting up for them to create the posts? How are they going to position your brand? I'm guessing there's some sort of a spec or document that you're giving them, talking to them about what the guidelines are. You need to think about the monetary incentives to give them. How are you going to pay for their time, effort, how to give them some upside, make sure that their efforts are valued appropriately. Is there anything else that you need to think about when you're talking about getting the best work from your influencers? I would say it all resides in the brief. So the document that you share with the creators in which you explain the strategy, the do's and don'ts, and what you expect from them from the campaign. Because that document 
will make or break your campaign. You know, it can be about the timing. So how much time you're giving the creators to do their best work and too far out in the future, it might disengage them Too short notice. People will refuse working with you and so on and so forth. But the incentive, as we discussed, also the messaging, right? And how much control you give to them. So I would say it all resides in that one document. When you reach out to the creators saying, hey, this is what I have to offer. And this really is the document you need to nail when it comes to the success of your campaign. All right. So it's not just figuring out what they're going to say. It's not figuring out how you're going to compensate. It's also giving them a fair amount of time to actually do the work and make sure that the creators feel comfortable and supported. And that wraps up this episode of Influencer Week on the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Vivienne Garnes, the co-CEO of Upfluence, for joining us. If you'd like to hear more of Vivian and Upfluence's tips for building an effective influencer marketing campaign, we're going to publish an episode every day this week. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and check back with us tomorrow morning when we discuss how to monetize your influencer marketing campaigns. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Vivian, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter where his handle is Vivian underscore Garnes. That's V-I-V-I-E-N underscore G-A-R-N-E-S. Or you could visit his company's website, which is upfluence.com. That's U-P-F-L-U-E-N-C-E.com. Just one more link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can also subscribe to our once a week newsletter and you can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is martechpod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or you can contact me directly. My handle is Ben J. B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day this year. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.